Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Marcus, and my main man, Frankie, and Marcus, start playing the Spanish National Anthem. We have a coronation that has happened this week in Madrid, baby. Marcus, tell us all about it. What happened? Well, first off, that Real Madrid comeback against Man City was absurd. Uh, on top of that, we essentially have a new, complete superstar in the game of men's tennis, and he goes by the name of Carlos Alcaraz. Hailing from Spain, he is now officially the best tennis player on the planet at the moment, undoubtedly. Um, has just won the Madrid singles title, a Masters 1000, beat Novak Djokovic, uh, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Alexander Zverev in a row on a clay court. Frank, man, I don't even know what to say. This is this is crazy stuff that we're seeing. Yeah, Marcus, I'm right there with you. I, I think that Carlos has pretty much completely changed the way that we think about the outlook of tennis for the next, I don't even want to know how many years, right? I mean, the way that Carlos has been able to play over these past two, three months, let's call it, has been nothing short of phenomenal. And even in this two to three month span, I would say that he has grown as a player. Um, uh, I think I think I think that he's getting better like every, every time I see him. Every, every time ten, I watch him. Every like about every ten minutes the guy is getting better. <laughs> it's just it, it really is. It's nothing short of extraordinary. Uh what I really think has been so impressive about Carlos has been the mental fortitude to beat all of these guys and like in all of these pressure moments he seems to just be able to hit that gear that we've really only seen Rafa Roger and Novak hit and Carlos is able to get there right and that's the thing that we've been saying that we want to see from Alexander Zverev and Stefano Tsitsipas and even to an extent Daniel Medvedev and they haven't been able to really do that quite honestly right and Now we've got a kid who at 19 years old on clay beats Nadal, then Djokovic, and then Zverev all in a row. And like the match against Zverev is not even close. Like that was just an absolute wipeout. And this kid had played two out of three sets in the previous two rounds. And he just absolutely trounces Zverev like not even a discussion. Uh, just, I just want everyone to let that sink in for a minute about what Carlos Alcaraz has just accomplished. Yeah, let's run through that, Frank, match by match. So against Nadal, he comes out pretty hot, wins the first set, um, and, and then he kind of, it looks a little shaky in the second there. You know, he, he, he falls over, rolls his ankle, falls on his wrist a little bit weird. Everyone's a little concerned, like, oh my God, is he going to be able to, you know, he gets his ankle taped up, the whole thing. We're like, all right, and he kind of loses that second set Pretty bad, actually. I think it was like 6-1 that all beat him. And then the guy just comes out just firing and just beats Nadal in a third set on clay like it's nothing. The following match, I mean, that that's in and of itself that's already bizarre that he can do that, right? I know Nadal is just coming off a rib injury, but still, the guy's the greatest clay quarter of all time. Then, Frank, he goes up against a Djokovic, who was playing really good, by the way. Djokovic played extremely well. Yes, that's we're going to get onto that later on in the episode, but yes. So Frank, uh, Djokovic is playing extremely well, figures out Alcaraz in the first set, and I'm leaving actually to go play tennis myself, and I'm thinking of just this gut feeling. I'm like, why do I think this match is not over? 
Like, why do I think that Carlos is going to be able to like win at least another set? He does that. And then I come back from tennis and I see the guy has like match points. I'm like, oh, good Lord. Everybody's so screwed. And then at that point, I mean, Frank, you probably thought this too. When I was watching Surf City Pass, I was just like, whoever wins this match is just like totally screwed tomorrow. Just totally screwed. No chance. I mean, it, what, what was incredible about it is as I was watching that match with Sitsipas and Zverev, I was like, it's not even a discussion that these two guys are just simply not on the level that the previous semifinal was. The level of that semifinal with Carlos and Novak, the only comparison that I can give to that that I've seen over the past two years, quite honestly, is the Rafa and Novak Djokovic semi-final from or quarterfinal whatever it was in Roland Garros last year where I said that was the greatest set of tennis I've ever seen in my life that was that was the level mm-hmm. that was on semifinals display. Yeah. it was a semis yeah so that's the level that was on display yesterday by Carlos and I I just think like there was one service game where Carlos was it was in the third set I can't remember if it was in his service game or in the tie break where Carlos like had a backhand like Novak makes a great return and Carlos like had been missing a few backhands and he just absolutely nails the ball down the line right in the corner and like you just see Novak like throw his arms in the air and it was at that moment that I was just like this kid is unstoppable like not only does he have like the benefit of being young in the sense of he's basically unafraid to do anything but he is mature enough at a young age that like he knows when to hold his nerve and not like get too amped up, you know? And that was like my concern and your concern about him a little bit a few months ago when we were just like, Oh, like this kid just goes for broke all the time. Like he's got to learn to slow it down a little bit. Like, honestly, like screw me. Like I'm wrong. Like let the, let the kid go, you know, like honestly, let the kid go. He just, there's nothing short of, magic from him i mean what what it is is it it reminds me i mean i was very we were both very young when this happened when fed broke onto the scene and everybody was just like what the hell is going on like this guy is the best defensive player and offensive player in tennis right carlos alcaraz is the best offensive player and defensive player in tennis now the same exact thing like <laughs> we're we're watching dude we're watching history being made people like we're watching that right now if you haven't tuned in get on it asap so you can tell your kids that you've been watching carlos alcaraz when he was 19 not only that but i think what's even more impressive about him is his use of the crowd like that is something that not even most of the big 3 really outside of rafa have done correctly you know, Novak does it in like a really screwed up way that we're not going to get into right now. I love the and way he Roger, does it. Roger never used it, right? Like that was, he was very much like a disciple of Borg with the whole Iceman thing. But Carlos like uses the crowd all of the time to just amp himself up and like give this never say die attitude. And again, like I know the parallels with Rafa, but like the only other player that like when I watch them play, even if they're down two sets to love that I'm like match isn't over until the umpire says game set match. That's what Carlos Alcaraz has. He's the only one that's got it. Steph doesn't have that. Um, Zverev definitely doesn't have that. Um, 
nobody else I've I've seen outside of Rafa um, and and Novak. You know, recently uh, I've ever felt that way about, and I very firmly feel that way about Carlos. This kid just never say die. And it's funny that you mentioned Real Madrid because like one of the famous Real Madrid Real Madrid is a soccer is a very famous soccer team for those of you who are not aware. But the famous chant by Real Madrid fans in that crazy combat comeback that they just had in the semifinals against Manchester City, but one of the the larger famous chants that they have as a club is uh Como no te voy a querer, which means how can I not love you? How can I like how can I not love this club? And that is very much how that Spanish crowd was with Carlos. Like, how could I not love you? And they're chanting like si se puede, like yes, you can, like through that entire I mean, it was electric. That atmosphere was one of the best atmospheres in a tennis match I have seen in a long time. And um I think like on the back of our US tennis series and you know, all the other stuff that we have coming out. I think it again sort of speaks to the fact that like tennis is the second most popular sport in Spain, like very firmly the second most popular sport in Spain. And that's why they're going to continue pumping out players like Carlos Alcaraz and Rafael Nadal and PCB and RBA. Like we can run down the list. It's just a passion for the game. The Spanish have a passion for this game and they know how to make a tennis player and everybody else take, take notes. That's all I've got to say. Yeah. I mean, well put dude like it's just right on the money i can't add anything else really to that specifically it's just insane how good this guy is and 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 it shows you kind of the system that they grew up in i'd like to give a boatload of credit to his coach juan carlos ferrero this man is by far the best coach on the atp not even a discussion not even a discussion he if he doesn't win every coach award known to man I don't know who deserves it because the way that Juan Carlos Ferrero has carefully molded and thought out meticulously every step of Carlos Alcaraz's career is insane. It's insane. Yeah, it's nothing short of just pure, pure brilliance. He's got everything. He's just got he's got the full package, Frank. He's like he's got, you know, a great a great support supporting cast in terms of family. He's got the best coach in the world. He's him himself is just an amazing guy. He just seems like a really nice, genuine guy. But when he steps onto court, he just goes into execution mode. And there's nothing that you can do to stop him. I literally, I think we should kind of take this. I know this is maybe not where we wanted to go with this, but we got to analyze this game a little bit because that's exactly I don't know, what I was thinking. Actually, right? <laughs> like, dude, where where are you going to beat this it, guy? Just put it. Just put it in terms of the. I mean, the way that I would do it is literally just put it in terms of the big three. You want to talk about his play style offensively? He's as good as Federer, no doubt in my mind. I have he he has the offensive firepower that Federer does. He's the only player that I've ever seen that even comes close to the offensive firepower that Federer does in terms of ability to finish at net, variety of ways to end points, um, power from the baseline, a serve also like right up there with anyone, right? So that's Fed speed um, speed, speed Nadal is. Incredibly yeah. fast. Speed, speed like, passion, mentality, the Nadal things that we think of as his core. Yep, got that. No problem. Done. And defense and flexibility that Novak has. Yeah. Got Went toe to toe with him defensively yesterday. Yeah. Numerous points. 
You want to know what the difference was? And there was, it, again, it was one specific point. I believe it was on deuce at like four at like three all or four all. Uh, Carlos, they were just lobbing balls up the middle effectively. All right. Just going like it was a, it was a grind point. Like it, somebody was waiting, like one of them was going to have to make that change of direction to finish the point. Novak hit a ball that was maybe like six inches too short. Didn't push Carlos back. Carlos just goes right around it with the forehand and does his little Buh! and just rockets the ball right in the forehand corner. And like, that's it. Points done. That's it. it, it like, who else can do that? Like, it's, it's, Frank, it's insane. You, you know what you forgot to mention? The drop shot. I, I love his drop shot. Go the, into that, please. Guys, please. He's, he's got the best drop shot on tour by far. Like one of the best drop shots I've ever seen. Like literally, because not only it, it, the execution of it is insane because he literally hits it. The ball bounces almost three times inside the service box every time he hits it. So he's hitting it so short and so flat. The other part about the drop shot is that you it it's so effective because the guy's forehand, he hits it so freaking hard that it looks like he's about to wind up. And you're just like, oh, my God, I hope he just doesn't like murder someone in the stadium with that forehand. And then he just goes, doop. And he just banks it over the net. You have no... There's. I saw Sverev today. The defeat in Sverev's eyes and his face said it all. Every time he hit the ball a little bit short, because he's like, I don't know where to stand. If I stand all the way back, he's going to fake a forehand. He's going to drop shot me. If I move up in the court, he's just going to rip the ball by me. I have no options. Perfect example of it. First point in the Djokovic tiebreak in the third set. Had a crazy point. Forehands, backhands going, running all over the court. Novak leaves the ball short on the approach. What can he do? What What are you going to do? Nothing. What are you going to do? Because he's got the best drop shot on tour, and he's got a rocket forehand. So where are you going to stand? You just got to guess. Yeah, you That's literally. You just got to guess. Yeah, you, you have literally no guess. You, you have literally no choice. And this is this is something that we've spoken about with with in general on the tour as to something that we're really irritated about is that guys have started to stand like fifteen feet back, right? Like it started with. Uh, Dominic team. Medvedev does it all the time. Novak does it to an extent. Nadal definitely does it. They stand back. But nobody has thought like, okay, rather than attack the horizontal aspects of the court, why don't I attack the vertical aspects that you're just giving me? And Carlos has done that. I That's think all that, he's uh, done. He's it's it's really like it's not a complicated thing to just say, like, oh, like the space is not horizontal anymore on a court from a baseline perspective. It's vertically. I think the problem is that a lot of the other guys, and we're talking mainly top dudes like Sverev and Tsitsipas, don't have the skill set, one, to do it, and two, they don't have the backup firepower to scare you into standing that far back. Because when you're playing against this kid, you you can't, like, if you step up any way close to the baseline and you try to take that forehand on the rise, I mean, you have to be like, like incredibly strong and time it so perfectly because otherwise your ball's going long. So the only option that you have is to stand all the way back there. And the way that this kid, his execution of the drop shot is perfect, Frank. It is textbook. He steps into the court. He takes it on the rise, shoulder level, so that he can hit down on it. And if he's hitting it on the rise, basically he's taking away that extra second from the split step that everybody needs. And then he just dinks it like right in front of the net. Every You know what's even wilder, Frank, that I was just mind blown by? He's doing it on the volleys. He's coming up and yes. serving, serving yes. volleying drop yes. shot like off yes. a kick serve. I'm I want to like, talk what? about no. I want to talk Let's... about this Novak match. I want to really talk about this <laughs> Novak match from because it was it was a tactical and it was a 
strategic like you should put that match on a like if i was a coach like i would put that match on a powerpoint like on a screen and i would be like take notes honestly and frank both of them incredible from both ends because the first set Djokovic really figured out how to win that set and you that's could see what I him, wanted you to talk he was about. playing I want chess. you to talk about why what did Djokovic that is the most that I've seen Carlos struggle over the past three months what did Djokovic do that that flipped that balance of that match because Carlos came screaming out of the gates and then Novak really looked like he was going to take it Djokovic counterpunched he counterpunched effectively though he counterpunched deep middle and then when he could take advantage of the points, he went angles to get Al- to get Carlos off the court and force Carlos to go for shots that he's normally not comfortable going with. Now, that that was kind of the first. And we saw that it was fascinating to see that because when you watch Djokovic play, to see that happen in real time after game after game after game is really masterclass. Because you could see every single game, he's like, all right, this is not working. This is working. I'm going to have to change my strategy. And then he wins the first set. And... The problem is maintaining that for a longer period of time is difficult, especially when Carlos is smart enough at the age of 19 to figure out, ah, I see what he's doing. Okay, now time to play my game. And that's where he started bringing in the drop shot and he started bringing in a little bit more of the power going with his forehand inside in and inside out. But you can speak more to what you think about Carlos's um, strategy change in terms of his reaction to Djokovic's strategy change. So... I think that the biggest, so I think that the thing that Djokovic was doing, Djokovic's strategy first, A, everything that you just said, totally agree. But B, he knew, Djokovic knew that he was never going to win a forehand to forehand rally with Carlos. He just is not, that's not a, that's, that's a, a devil's folly. Not yeah, worth that's it. suicide. Yep. However, still to this day, nobody's beating Djokovic backhand to backhand. Nobody. Agreed. Agreed. Nobody. Nobody's beating him. And I saw a lot of adjustments being made of like, okay, you want to hit to my, like, you, you know, I I know you can out hit me on this forehand wing. We're just going to hit backhands all day. And I saw a lot of cross court backhands over and over and over again to the point where like he was waiting for Carlos to make that run around into the doubles alley on the forehand. And if Carlos makes that inside in from the doubles alley, like hands up, go ahead. But like, if you don't, I'm going to cook you with a forehand cross court and you're not going to get there in time. I don't care how fast you are. I'm going to take this ball on the rise. Or if Carlos goes inside out, Djokovic's backhand is good enough to get it down the line. Oh, go ahead. Well. Yeah, you want to you want to make me hit a down the line backhand, the shot that's arguably made my entire career. Have fun. Have fun. Like, I wish you luck. Um, no, I think it was that. I think Novak's serve also was tremendous for most of the match, quite honestly. I think Novak was returning really, really well until Carlos made an adjustment. And I'll tell you what that adjustment was. Kick serves. Carlos just started hitting kick serves to Djokovic's backhand the entire match because he kept initially, he was just going for his usual slice or power, maybe to the body, whatever, like, and Novak was that's, drilling that yeah, that's right, Djokovic's wheelhouse. right yep. at the feet every single time. And it forced Carlos to get right behind in the rally. And Novak was taking control. And that was when the match started to shift towards Novak's favor. But then Carlos in that third set made the adjustment and said, I don't care if you know where the ball is going. This ball is kicking to your backhand, whether you like it or you don't. It doesn't matter. I'm going to hit 105 mile an hour kick serve to your backhand every point. And that is exactly what he did. And it worked. 
because he noticed right away that like Novak was a little bit uncomfortable with how high that ball was kicking up. No matter who you are, that ball, it's going to be incredibly uncomfortable because Novak lacks one shot in his game. It's the shot that you deal that you use to deal with that high backhand. Marcus, what shot is it? The moon ball. Well, actually, That's yes, what... Novak should have used that more. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> However, Jim Courier actually said it on the broadcast. Backhand slice. Yeah, but you you I mean, you just you can't slice that thing. I mean, it's on a red clay court in 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 very in higher altitude in Madrid and with a dude hitting that 105 miles an hour. It's better than like, it's better than missing it completely. I mean, it, it just like it, it I disagree. I, I honestly I, disagree because mm. if he, he slices that thing, it's I don't care where it goes in the court. It's just going to sit up on that clay and then Carlos is going to eat that thing up. Forget it. I don't it. know. No way. I, I think know. I think moonballing was the way to go. I well, think Sverev, you know who, you know who did that, that did well? Try to moon ball, like, you know who then... did that well? You know who did that well? Sverev today. When a couple of games where he actually was getting himself into points, he would just stand all the way back and he would just launch a ball to the moon and it would bounce way deep and then that's how he would finally get himself into the point. I think Djokovic should have done that more because if you slice that thing, goodbye. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. But I did. But Courier did specifically say that. And I thought that that actually was true. I would have at least liked to have seen it happen. Like I want to I wanted to as a mix up strategy. I agree. Yeah. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like give some sort of variety because the other adjustment that Carlos made serve and volley. You mentioned it earlier. Carlos just said, "Okay, like you're hitting insane returns and you're standing like 20 feet back. Like I'm just going to push you as far back as I can. And like I'm just going to come to net and like I'm going to make you run. Uh, You know, I just. There's so many things that Carlos did yesterday that I was incredibly impressed by and incredibly like just taken. I mean, it's it's incredible how how somebody this young is doing this and making these adjustments that fast is nothing short of extraordinary. He's an absolute chess master already, and that was a hit that match against Djokovic especially, and it was just an absolute complete tennis chess match. And you're absolutely right; that should be shown at like every single junior tennis clinic or coaching session about how this is like the, the, the just ah i'm speechless dude last, it was just so good last thing i want us to talk about um briefly we mentioned it earlier novak i thought looked great i thought novak looked like the second best player in the world this weekend this week i have to give it to him um after really not looking very good the first few events that he came back i thought that this was the best he played all year by a, a wide wide margin um, what do you think about Novak's prospects for the rest of the year? I think they're good. I I honestly kind of expected this. I knew that he would kind of for the first, you know, the whole Australia COVID thing would mess him up for a little bit. He didn't play a match since basically last year. He plays a couple of matches. I mean, all these guys on the tour have been playing for three or four months. They're match tough. You know, he comes out with a couple of losses that he, you know, normally wouldn't lose, but he also hasn't played matches. So it's normal. And now he's starting to find his groove at the right time. Um, Top three favorite for me at the French Open, along with Nadal and Alcaraz. I personally think Alcaraz is winning the French. That's that's me, but I think Djokovic is looking like a top three favorite. Um, I still think you have to say Nadal's the favorite at the French. Um, I, Why? I think I, I, it's different three out of five. It's just different. It's just oh, different okay. three out of five. Talk um, to me. Talk to me. I think it's different three out of five. I I think beating these guys three out of five sets is a different animal. 
I think two Nadal is still coming off an injury. So you need to like give at least a little bit of um precedent like consideration to that. And yeah, but I, I no, I agree with your top three. It's it's Nadal, Djokovic, and Alcaraz. Million percent agree with that. But I, I would have Nadal one, Carlos two, and and Novak three at this if point. any if anything, the injury to Nadal should actually put him behind Carlos one and two. He's getting and I just, I'm listen, man. I'm looking at a guy who is showing me the mental goods, the physical goods he's got. He's springy. He's 19 years old. This is, I think it's just gonna happen. That's just yeah. me. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm I, curious I, to see what the, the odds maker says out too. It depends how the draw shakes out too. I think to ask Carlos to beat Nadal and Djokovic in a row to to win the French would be a big ask. But I think that if would he only be a big has ask. to beat one. Then I think he wins it. Yes, I agree with you. But that that's, yeah. that's going to be a, a situation where I need to see the draws come out. Um, but I, again, I wouldn't put it past him. I don't know. Uh, for me, with with Novak, uh, in terms of his outlook for the rest of the year, I think this firmly, firmly supplants him as the favorite for Wimbledon. I don't even think it's a question. He should be overwhelming favorite there. Agreed. No doubt in my mind. Um before this, after watching him, I was like, oh, man, maybe he's like, you know, you know, he could lose a match, something like that. Something happens. No, he's back. He's fine. He's going to win Wimbledon. Zero doubt in my mind that'll happen. I think the U.S. Open is wide open. No idea who's going to win that. Couldn't pay me to make a guess. I, I'm not. I have no idea who's going to win that 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 tournament. And quite honestly, Roland Garros, even like I know the three who could win it. But like even that, like. I'm happy that tennis is getting competitive again. I'm really, I'm really, really happy. I I agree. I just don't see anybody else even contending for the French. Like, you can't tell me that Sverev or Tsitsipas are candidates to win the French Open. They're just not. They're just no, not. No, because Carlos owns them, right? And that's that's the thing is that, like, those three are great, but, like, like Tsitsipas and Zverev are good, but, like, they get pwned by Djokovic, they get pwned by Nadal, and now they both get pwned by Carlos. So it's just like, okay, you're out. Go to the pit of irrelevancy, as I've mentioned on this podcast. Yeah, I think we'll... the reason, the other reason why I think Carlos has a, why I would put Nadal over Carlos is in two out of the three matchups this year, Nadal has won against Carlos. And we do, you do have to consider that. So yes, it has been tight every time I get it. And like on the clay surface, Carlos won. But I so just want to—I just want to pump the brakes a little bit. That's all. I just want to—you want to pump the brakes. I, I'm I, hitting the gas pedal because Carlos is in the gas think, pedal. And Frank, look at it trajectory-wise, though. Trajectory-wise, Zverev beat him the last two times last year. Got his ass beat here. Carlos has gotten inch closer to closer to beating the doll. Finally, does it at a clay court event. This guy is literally getting better every single I week. Just think that it's different three out of five and you know it too that it's different three out totally of five. agree but i think i if just want to see it i just want to see it he gonna do it i just want to see the draw do it. if i see the draw and i see that he only has to beat one of them i think he will win the french open i'm going but on fan duel right he has now to and beat both of them i do not think he will personally but what the hell do i know i thought that kakanakis would beat nadal at the australian open so clearly i'm a moron I'm going on FanDuel right now and putting money on that. <laughs> uh, how could you not love it? All right. Well, this went longer than actually I think we expected, but 
this guy's worthy of every bit of praise that we're going to heap on him and continue to heap on him. And uh, I think that the grand slam total prediction that we had uh, given for Alcaraz was uh, dramatically low. Um, quite Before honestly. you go, can I read off the odds for the French Open? Can As I of, guess first? Uh, yes, you can guess. As of okay. today. Right odds now. on favorite Nadal. Yep. Uh, second is probably Djokovic. Wrong. Is it Tsitsipas? Alcaraz. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's why, why would it be Sitsipas, dude? Because uh, he made the irrelevant. Because he made the final. Because he made the final. And he won dude. Monte Carlo. Congratulations. You just lost to Sverev, and you know you're getting your ass beat up by Alcaraz. Yeah. And, that's, I yeah. mean, that's really bad. Yeah. So uh, right now, Nadal plus 165, Alcaraz plus 200, Djokovic plus 280, and then it drops to plus 600 for Sitsipas, and then it goes to plus 1700 for Sverev. And then plus twenty three hundred for Casper Ruud, who's also, by the way, has not really had a good clay season so far. So really yikes. surprising. But as we all know, this is not a Casper Ruud hate podcast. This is a Casper Ruud love podcast. So we love you, Casper Ruud. We love. We want to have you on. We do. I I love him. I love him. I said I I did say that if Casper Ruud proved us wrong at ATP World Tour Finals, this would become a Casper Ruud love podcast. So it is now a Casper Ruud love podcast. We love you, Casper. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here at Breakpoint Podcast. Thanks for listening. Appreciate the continued support. And uh, if you'd like to be on the podcast, please send us a DM at Breakpoint Podcast 7. And uh, if you want to send us an email, you can send us an email. Sure, go for it at BreakpointPodcast7 at gmail.com. And as always, carrier pigeon is an option. You can send it to the uh, (laughs) U.S. Postal Service at uh, the Broadway Long Island Railroad. We are also available on AIM and BlackBerry Messenger with the username at BreakpointPodcast7. Wow. Blackberry? Yikes. That Hit me up on BBM, baby. Rip the Blackberry. <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, appreciate you all. We'll catch you guys next time.